I'm John Moe. Coming up this week on Home Dunk, singer, songwriter, Cardinal fan, Warrior fan, Kobe Bryant attacker B. Beeman is with us. Plus, we get an update from the coach. We find out how the basketball team's doing. It's not doing well. I hit a home dunk. I wish that you had shown up. I played over my head. Everything was off the charts. I jumped out the gymnasium and knocked it out the park. Did a handstand, hit a grand slam, it was a great day for the fans, man. I got three sacks and broke three bats. I gave the crowd money plus free snacks. I did a hat trick and a backflip. It's on ESP and classic. And you weren't there, and it hurt me to watch them retire my jersey. I hit a home dunk. Thank you, Open Mike Eagle. This is Home Dunk. Open Mike Eagle does our introductory rap here on Home Dunk, the show for people who think a lot about sports and probably think too much about sports and uh, engage in self-loathing and uh, engage in jokes. I'm John Moe, and uh, thanks for thanks for being with us. So it's Wednesday morning as I'm recording this, and... This story is going all over the place. I don't know what's going to happen within the next 10 minutes, let alone the next week. But as it stands now, Adrian Peterson, uh, running back for the Minnesota Vikings, guy who beat the shit out of his four-year-old son with a stick, uh, has copped a plea deal to the case and will pay a $4,000 fine, perform 80 hours of community service, uh, needs to be clean and off pot for two years. We'll have monthly check-ins and um, the case is more or less closed, which means that now attention shifts to the NFL and the Minnesota Vikings and to running around with a ball and getting tackled and football matters. And this is where things get kind of weird because at least in a court, there are precedents. I assume, I, I don't know for sure, I'm no lawyer, I assume that Whatever this punishment was for Adrian Peterson, this is something that first-time offenders, child abusers, uh, sometimes get to do in Texas. I don't know. But a court is a system that has seen things like this before. The NFL has seen things like this before, but has largely swept it under the rug because it didn't have uh, social media yelling at it, and it didn't have... Um, this high profile a case involving this big of a player, an MVP, a rushing champion, um, a famous guy, a famous guy who sells a lot of jerseys. This hasn't really come up in quite this way before. So now uh, people are trying to figure out what to do about it. Do you say, okay, well, you've already been out a lot of games, even though you were getting paid the whole time, now you can come back and everything's fine. And we just continue on as as that four-year-old boy tries to piece his life together. Or do you keep him out for the rest of the year? Does the NFL uh, impose a punishment on Adrian Peterson that is different or concurrent or in addition to what the, the courts have done? Because the NFL is not the court. Let, let's make this clear. The NFL is not the same thing as the American judicial system. Uh, it is not a government organization. It is not 
bound by the same rules. Just because somebody got a plea agreement doesn't change what the NFL or the Vikings have to do. They have some options. They are employers and they, they you know, have rights to what they want to do. But here's the thing, and I've been thinking about this a lot because, uh, because it's what I do. I think a lot and uh, about sports. Several years ago, I heard this uh, interview with John Malkovich, the actor John Malkovich, and he was talking about his kids. And he said to the, the interviewer, yeah, well, you know, if anyone ever hurt my kids in any way, I would kill them. And the interviewer was kind of in, uh, incredulous, like, wait, what? What do you mean you would, you, you would actually kill them? And Malkovich said, yeah, uh, of course, I would, I would kill them. I would commit murder against that person who harmed my kids. Of course I would. Now, I read this before I ever had kids, and I thought it was a little strange too, but also keeping uh, up with what we know about John Malkovich. It seems like a John Malkovich thing to say. And then I had kids. I've got three kids, and I totally get what he's saying because there is a part of your brain that opens up or reorganizes itself, and if anyone were to harm your kids killing that person makes complete sense. Um, And so I see the Adrian Peterson case through the eyes of somebody who has three kids, who's had three kids be four years old. My youngest is six, and I have three of them. And so I've I've been around four-year-olds. And as I've said on this podcast before, four-year-olds are the greatest people in the world. (laughs) They really are. They are they are guileless, they are enthusiastic, but they are fully functional. They are everything a human being should be. They are uh, devoid of deviousness for the most part. And even when they are devious, uh, it's adorable. So they are, they are perfect in every way. I have been a dad to those. And to imagine anyone harming my children, especially when they were four years old, I would understand the urge to, to want to kill that person. And so when I think of Adrian Peterson doing this to his own son, it colors everything for me. I think Adrian Peterson should be kicked out of football forever and should never play again in the National Football League. Football, the NFL, is a public-private partnership. There is public funding of stadia. There is nomenclature where this isn't the Delta Airlines Vikings. This is the Minnesota Vikings, and they are out there representing the state of Minnesota or the city of Green Bay, or the state of Arizona, the city of Seattle, the city of New York, whatever. Um, I'm in that public, and I vote gone. That, that, is, that is the ballot that I cast, because to me, my feelings about four-year-olds outweigh everything else. And Adrian Peterson has lost his chance to represent the public, He's, he's lost his right to carry uh, the name of the Minnesota Vikings. I live here, and I love it here, and I don't want him associated with that name. I was a fan of the Vikings when I was a kid, long before I ever moved here, because my dad was Norwegian and fell in love with football and started following the Vikings because he's Norwegian. So they mean a lot to me, and I don't want his name on that thing, which I am invested in. So I've got, I've got a couple investments here already that are, are changing how I look at this case, because I know that there is also such a thing as rehabilitation. Somebody does something that is wrong, there is the opportunity for that person to do right, for things to be 
not fixed, but addressed and improved. There's room for Adrian Peterson to, uh, to, to learn right from wrong. Adrian Peterson was abused as a child. He was abused publicly. He was whipped and humiliated in front of his teammates when he was in high school by his father. That screws someone up. That is trauma. That is unprocessed thought. That has messed him up for his entire life. There is no doubt in my mind about that. He's also an incredible athlete, football player from Texas, which meant that aside from being abused by somebody in his family, he has pretty much been told that he poos ice cream his entire life because he can run with a football really, really well. And when you're told you're great over and over and over through childhood, through the University of Oklahoma, into the pros, millions of dollars, you naturally deduce that the things you do are great things. You are a great person. Therefore, the things you do are great things. Still, for me, I can't forgive him. I can't forgive him. I won't forgive. I will never forgive him. But I can't judge him because I have opinions like anyone else, but I have biases. And I want the NFL to have ethics. I don't want it to just do the thing that follow what the court did, or and I certainly don't want it to uh, to place value on somebody, more value on somebody and give them more chances because they, they're really good at playing football, even though this happens all the time in sports. I want the NFL to have ethics. And yes, I am saying that I want the organization that systematically maims its own employees as part of their working conditions to have ethics and consequences and logic. And I'm sorry for even <laughs> thinking that. But where are we then? You know? Where are we with what we're going to do with Adrian Peterson? If I'm not qualified, and if the Vikings aren't qualified, other people want him to be back playing football. I'm hearing it all around, uh, all around the Twin Cities. And you know, this isn't a, a Minnesota sports show, but I think this is the Adrian Peterson case. Really, is at the heart of our relationship with sports and violence in our society, and how we're going to go forward. And that is important. Other people want him to be back playing football. And these are Viking fans who value his football output. These are Viking fans who don't value uh, the severity of child abuse. These are teammates who want his help on the field because he's still pretty great for about another year until his knees fall apart and then we'll never hear from him again. These are also teammates who know him outside this context of this case where we are told he is a really great guy. Chris Cluey, who we've had on the show before, has talked to me before about what a great guy Adrian Peterson uh, was. And this was before any of this went down. In his mind, he was the, his favorite teammate on the whole team. So they're all coming at it with their own biases, those fans, those teammates, and we're all unqualified. All of us are unqualified. Me with my convictions about children and abuse, those are those convictions are biases on my part or they're morals or whatever they are, but I'm slotting him in somewhere based on stuff I'm bringing to the table already. The fans aren't qualified because he only represents football to them or predominantly represents football. Fantasy owners aren't qualified because they're fantasy owners and come on. The NFL and the Vikings aren't qualified. Adrian Peterson represents money to them. He draws interest. He sells jerseys. And what about the court? I mean, who is a judge to judge him? Well, 
a judge is a judge, but it's not the same system. It's a it's a narrow uh, prescription of laws and uh, things that the court has to do. The NFL, we're finally left with this. The NFL makes no sense in any context other than itself. And this is the problem because the NFL is just unlike anything else. It's a little like college football, but it's not entirely like college football. It operates in its own world. What would happen if you did the things on the football field that uh, it just in real life, you would get arrested. If you tackled somebody, if you caused them to have a concussion, if you ran at them with great speed with a hard thing on your head and shoulder pads and just speared them in the chest and pinned them to the ground, you would go to jail. Unlike other sports, you can dunk on somebody in the real world and it would be annoying, but it would not be felonious. You could you could hit a, a ball with a stick and maybe you'd get in trouble with your neighbor for uh, for breaking their window. And I suddenly am talking about Dennis the Menace. And then, you know, you'd have a slingshot and there'd be a pie in a windowsill. But football is just not like that. I was, I was watching Parks and Recreation the other night and uh, they did several episodes with the Indianapolis Colts who are, uh, to a man, not very good actors. And you're watching this comedy show, and they're trying to do this bit that incorporates the NFL's Play 60 public campaign to encourage kids to play outside 60 minutes a day. And (laughs) there's just so much cognitive dissonance. I mean, you have a sitcom based in Indiana, filmed in Los Angeles, and you have football players and these different icons are interacting with each other around an agenda of getting children to exercise. And it just is noisy with dissonance. It makes no sense because football isn't like anything else. The NFL isn't like anything else. We celebrate when that happens, when when those worlds, when those circles become a little bit of a Venn diagram. We celebrate when Peyton Manning, formerly of the Indianapolis Colts, is on Saturday Night Live and is really genuinely funny because it's so great because suddenly that world is making a little bit of sense to us because it is intersecting with our world much more so than when Eli Manning hosts Saturday Night Live because he is terribly unfunny. So what I'm saying is we're screwed. We're screwed. We Do we need a philosopher to decide what to do about Adrian Peterson next? Do we need to find somebody who is unaware of what football is? You're not going to find that in a court in Texas. You're not going to find that in an NFL office. You're not going to find that on a team. You're not going to find it in the in the stadium. You're not going to find it in online chat rooms talking about football. It's hard to achieve. I think it is impossible to achieve. I think this is just always going to be something that is unlike other things. And a bias will win here. It's not going to be mine, I don't think. I don't think Adrian Peterson will be banned for life. Uh, I think pretty soon when he reaches the magic running back age of 30, at which nearly all running backs fall apart physically, this whole thing will sort of go away. But until then, it won't. So somebody's, somebody's going to win. Somebody's bias will win out. He will get on the field. Or he'll wait a few games and then get on the field. Or he'll be on the field this coming Sunday. I don't know. 
And that's what's really sad about this. And that's what's really terrifying about this. Because we're in a unique situation, and it will always be a unique situation. And I don't see any way out of it that makes perfect logical sense or any logical sense. Until then, here's some advice for parents. Don't hit kids with sticks ever, you asshole. I hit a home dunk. Joining us right now, the singer-songwriter B. Beeman. Uh, I'm doing some double duty here because uh, B. is going to be on the sh- other show I host, Wits, on November 21st. Hey, B. Hi. Where Where am I reaching you right now? What city are you in right now? Uh, I'm in Palo Alto, California. And is that home? Is that where you live now? It is home. But I'm originally from the Midwest, St. Louis, Missouri, for all you Midwesterners. Right, that, and that's what I wanted to talk about. I, I just want to make sure I get the lineage straight here. Your your parents are Sri Lankan, and then you were born in St. Louis. Yes. Okay, and grew up a, a Cardinals fan, presumably a a Rams fan. How do, how does that work? What what does the modern St. Louis sports fan get enthused about? Mostly the Cardinals, I would think. It's definitely the Cardinals. It's like San Antonio and the Spurs or Green Bay and the Packers. It's a, I mean, we have a couple more teams, but the Cardinals are really the thing. And um, everybody kind of plays baseball growing up. It's sort of everybody kind of has to for some reason or another. But, um, yeah, the Cardinals are the ticket, and they've been better overall. The Rams are popular with my friends, but I'm not really a football fan, basically because what are now the Arizona Cardinals left in 1992 or something like that or even earlier, yeah. and we didn't have a football team for probably seven years or something like that, and I never liked football. <laughs> mm, mm. So it's baseball all the way. And I'm not a Rams fan now, but all my other high school friends are definitely Rams fans and Blues fans. Now, here's what I always want to ask people who, who follow the Cardinals, who are Cardinals fans. When Mark McGuire was just steroided out of his mind, and we as a nation just said, he must be lifting a lot of weights. He must be getting a lot of exercise. Did people in St. Louis... Eating his Wheaties. Yeah, yeah. right. Did people in St. Louis, did you or, or people you know buy into that it was just a, a naturally occurring phenomenon? Um, well, I was 15 and I, was, I could have cared less. It was just more about him hitting massive dingers. Right. <laughs> and I thought it was awesome. Um, But no, nobody questioned. I mean, there's some questioning about his creatine usage, which is some sort of protein muscle supplement. I don't know what that is. But um, apparently he wasn't doing anything that was actually illegal in MLB at the time. But yes, looking back, it's it's pretty ridiculous that nobody saw the writing on the wall. (laughs) But during that 1997-98 year, nobody, the media included, nobody like really called him out for anything. It was all hooray, rah, rah stuff. And, yeah, and his friendship with Sammy Sosa. And it was probably one of the most fun baseball years I've ever witnessed. It was amazing. Well, what do you think it is about sports that makes us kind of suspend that disbelief, that, that makes us just glide past uh, something obvious right in front of us? Well, I mean, it's cheating, and I, I'm a huge baseball fan, and I, I don't obviously like cheating, but it's the reality and 500-foot home runs are things that you saw with your eyes, you know? Right, <laughs> so, right. Um, there's nothing you can change about that. It was just very impressive. And, you know, there's plenty of people who haven't gotten called out for it. I, I probably sound like a Mark McGuire apologist right now, but I'm <laughs> actually not. But uh, 
there's people like Craig Biggio that nobody actually thinks about him ever using steroids, but I have my theories that he definitely did. Right. But nobody questions him, so there's a lot of lopsided questioning going on, and um, the Hall of Fame stuff is actually a very muddy water, you know? Yeah. Getting into that and trying to filter out the, the bad guys. Now, uh, your your folks are from Sri Lanka, and and you're massively into baseball. Did did baseball exist in Sri Lanka? Did they understand what it was you were getting so excited about? No, but my parents now are like I played a lot of baseball growing up uh-huh. um, through high school, senior year, and uh, I was on some good teams. And David Freeze was uh, who's a Cardinal at one point. Oh yeah, uh, was in my league and. Ryan Howard, who's on the Phillies now, was a few years older, but in my area. Uh-huh. Um, but now they are huge fans. My mom like understands bunting people over. She understands all these <laughs> intricacies and boring things about baseball, uh, partly to do with me and partly to, partly having to do with living in St. Louis. In Texas, people say uh, everybody goes to the high school football games. It's kind of like that with baseball in St. Louis. Um, it's just everybody kind of knows the rules of baseball through osmosis, I guess. Yeah. But in Sri Lanka, no. Cricket was the game. Rugby was the game. Um, there were American bases and British bases in Sri Lanka, but baseball never made it over there. Have you ever played cricket or rugby? I have with a couple of cousins. Um, I have cousins all over the the globe, and uh, in England and Australia and Sri Lanka. And, um, I've visited a couple of them, and those are the only times I've really played cricket and I only wanted to bat, basically. Right. I didn't understand the rest of the rules. <laughs> that's that's the baseball correlation right there. Yeah, my uh, my parents were from from Norway, and they just got so into American football, and it was like the least, it was the most American thing they could find, the least European thing they could find. They couldn't care less about soccer when they arrived, but they just wanted to know all about football. <laughs> I think I think when you dive in, you dive all the way in. Football is very exciting, but I cannot stand the minutes of breaks in between plays. Yes. It kills it for me. I can't remember who said it, but it's a uh, football game is a series of committee meetings punctuated with bursts of violence. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's mostly just meetings. It's like a day at the office. Um, so then, uh, so you played baseball, and then at some point along the line, maybe it's just being in St. Louis, uh, makes you pick up a guitar and makes you start doing music. How did you, how did you make the switch from, from baseball player to musician? Um, so my brother, older brother, had taken a few lessons with a nylon string classical guitar, but totally dropped it, and the guitar was just sitting around, and I eventually started picking it up, and I took like a couple lessons here or there, and probably just wanted to do the duck walk like Chuck Berry, uh-huh. <laughs> have it as a prop, really. Uh, but I kept at it over the years, slowly, slowly getting better and better. But I first picked it up when I was about six or seven. So just having been holding a guitar for several years really can make you better if you just keep at it, really. But I was playing a lot of baseball, and I actually injured myself really badly, um, freak accident, but I was like in bed for a long time mm. on crutches. So I ended up not playing any baseball for about a year, and uh, I just really took to the guitar, listening to music and learning riffs and stuff like that. And that was probably really when I took off in terms of uh, learning. Let's... Uh... Let's listen to a little bit of B. Beeman. This is off the most recent album, and this is a song called Gutter Snipe. Above the right in the rain 
I love the song. I love your music, B, but I really love that you use the term gutter snipe because that that's just an underused word in the English vocabulary. Yeah, I think it's very old English or something. Uh, nobody uses that anymore. I mean, I've heard it sparingly, but it's not even the chorus of the song necessarily. It's the line I use, but it's really about this kid who's a gutter snipe, and gutter snipe technically means um, a treat person who is picking up cigarette butts ah, okay. off the ground and smoking them. Nice. So you're going through the gutter sniping cigarettes or something like that. I don't know. But um, I just love the term, and I... The song I wrote about it is is just about a kid riding the rails, mm-hmm. trying to find his home, and he's still searching. I've heard a lot of your music, and I know that that you're heavily influenced by uh, by heavy metal. Uh, but I also hear I hear like old St. Louis blues in that kind of music. It's it's kind of like blues and metal kind of kind of melding together. Sure, I don't know how big of a metal head I am. I'm a I would say a heavy rock, sort of a Black Sabbath sort of guy. All right. Um, it kind of gets crazy with the metal music, in my opinion. But uh, I like 70s heavy metal and stuff, heavy rock and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, living in St. Louis, blues is around all, all over. And um, St. Louis is an underrated blues town. I, I think a lot of people in blues lore think that blues went from Memphis to Chicago. Mm-hmm. But, skipped, you know, skipped over St. Louis. But St. Louis has a incredibly rich history of ragtime and blues and hopefully i'll be able to do a documentary that i'd really like to do about st louis blues oh that'd be cool um and not the hockey team (laughs) yeah the hockey team the hockey team and their long history playing blues music Um, (laughs) of of russian immigrant playing (laughs) right 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 uh down home on the volga uh did you listen to a lot of blues growing up or is it just cultural is it just seeping in no matter what you do when you're in st louis well it's not like baseball in st louis necessarily but um i guess i had a couple hip friends with some hip dads and i would go downtown and on the river and there's some clubs less and less so now still hosting some old blues acts but now they're sorry to say they're probably slowly passing away Mm. and then it starts becoming more stevie ray vaughn-ish but um there used to be pretty legit acts coming through, and um, it was a lot of fun to see those guys play. I mean, I love blues guitar. Albert King is one of my favorite guitar players, and uh, there's opportunities to see the blues in St. Louis. There was um, in a maybe more authentic way than certain other cities. Yeah. Um, now, we, we talked about the influence of heavy rock. I want to play another uh, little sample here, and I'm just gonna we're just going to play this, and we'll see if our listeners can figure out what song you're covering here, how long it takes people. And that's Highway to Hell by ACDC. I'm on the I played that for my wife, and she was like, oh, this is a great song. What, what is it? And I'm like, just wait for the chorus. It's going to come around. Uh, you, you do a lot of covers of some familiar songs, some of them heavy rock songs, Dire Straits or Talking Heads are in there too, and uh, you really change it up. What's your approach to doing a cover? Um, it's a lot of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. I mean, for every song on that album, there's probably five others that I tried. Um, 
Stevie Wonder songs, uh, Michael Jackson. I can't think of the other ones right now, but uh, it was a folk sort of approach. Um, yeah. And oddly enough, I did a CD release for that EP of cover songs called Substitute Preacher, and I did it in a church, and I started the set off with that Highway to Hell, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it worked out really well. Just tempting God right there. <laughs> you don't talk about my God. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a big Carter Family fan, and um, mm. I don't know if you listen to them very much, but that that Highway to Hell is is very reminiscent to, of one of their songs. And uh, okay, I don't know. I, I try to turn it on its head a little bit. I do "Crazy" by Gnarls Barkley every ever so often, and I, I, I sit with it for a long time, and it, everything ends up usually working out. Whether for good or bad, I was just impressed on Highway to Hell that that you knew what the lyrics were because I don't think I had ever heard those words or understood those words until <laughs> I heard your cover of it. Because you can't uh, understand a Scottish Australian guy singing raspy vocal. I really can't. No, <laughs> no, who's screeching at the top of his lungs? So I think you're doing a service <laughs> right there. No, I was a. I mean, ACDC was. I've had some kicks of bands. ACDC was two or three years of my high school and Soundgarden was another two years. But, uh, I was, I'm a huge riffologist. I would say, I guess yeah. <laughs> you're going to get nerdy about guitar, but <laughs> Bon Scott and ACDC were a huge influence on me, um, in terms of their simplicity. And, uh, they kind of had a formula and it just really worked. I thought, I think it was in eighth grade when I saw ACDC on the, for those about to rock tour with the cannons that were all set to go off. It was the most amazing thing <laughs> I'd ever seen. That's a great seen. song. I should have covered that song. <laughs> you can get to that one later on. That, that'll, that'll always be waiting for you. Um, let's, uh, let's hear one more song, and this is from further back in the B. Beeman catalog. So this is a song called God is a Warriors Fan. Uh, the, the lyrics, God is a Warriors Fan, Satan Loves the Lakers. Tell me a little bit about, uh, speaking of, of gospel music, how this one came about. Um, I think maybe there's a commercial on TV that was like, God is a something or other fan. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of ran with it there. That I mean, ultimately came down to my hatred of the Lakers in 2002 through 2004 or something like that. Why do you hate the Lakers so much? What's wrong with the Lakers? I don't anymore because they're terrible now. Oh, okay. But Kobe just rubbed me the wrong way. I like, I appreciate him now. I've grown. Yeah. I don't hate him anymore. <laughs> I don't think he's the spawn of Satan any longer. But um, <laughs> I don't know. It was a silly song. It was definitely, I was living in the Bay Area and mm -hmm. the Warriors were absolutely horrible. No light at the end of any tunnel. Uh, they're just terrible. The Lakers were at their peak and it was just a silly song to sort of vent my frustration and to play around the bay. And actually, oddly enough, I play that a lot when I go to L.A. and play. And the L.A. fans kind of love it more than the Bay Area fans, so that's pretty funny. Yeah. You also, you also claim that Satan loves the Yankees in that one. And uh, you even rip on the True. cast of Friends, I guess. <laughs> I guess that dates the song somewhat, but uh, but you're pretty merciless. Yeah, what is that line? I can't even remember that line. Uh, the cast of Friends attends lousy bunch of fakers. Oh, right. You might have just been going for the rhyme with Lakers and just doing what you needed to do to get to the rhyme. <laughs> I there. did what I needed to do, and I don't regret it. <laughs> that's that's um, all we ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that line now. Yeah, just about 
the Jack Nicholsons and the Lou Adlers of, <laughs> of the L.A. fandom. So do you do you prefer a team when they are losing or are more obscure or you know when they're when they're powerless as opposed to a team that's winning a lot? Powerless is is much more likable to me. Yeah. Um, for instance, the Giants now, I'm not a fan, uh, mainly because they beat my Cardinals right. two times in the past three years, um, which probably has more to do with the Cardinals being bad. But The Cardinals are not bad, B. No, Beeman. Not, not necessarily. They, <laughs> they're in the playoffs. They've won a bunch of World Series. You are supporting a very good team. <laughs> this is talk for another episode. Okay. Probably. All right. Um, but St. Louis fans are pretty divided on Mike Messini's mental capacity. And... Uh, <laughs> and the amount of concussed brain cells he has. Ah, uh, okay. But, uh, it must be a Missouri no, thing. No, I mean, we're very spoiled. We just, like, we get close to the World Series, and then we complain about how we don't actually win it. Um, <laughs> but there's 26 other teams that would love to sniff that action. So Yeah, yeah. We're just spoiled. I'll, I'll admit we're spoiled. As a, as a Mariners fan, I would like to have the problems that you have. I think those would be great problems. A Mariners fan? yeah. It hasn't been easy. Okay. Yeah, you know. I was talking to, not to name drop, but... uh, Chris Cornell? Yeah, I did a tour with Chris Cornell. He actually doesn't care for sports very much, but the rest of the Soundgarden are massive Seattle sports fans, and they're big Mariners fans. How is that for you? You grew up, like, being totally into Soundgarden for, for a time, you said, heavily influenced by Soundgarden, and now you tour with Chris Cornell, and you're, like, friends with Chris Cornell. How weird is that? It's not a big deal. Really? No, it's, it's really cool. Um, it's surreal sometimes, but he's he's just a normal person uh, with abnormal circumstances in terms of him being a mega star. Uh, but he's he's pretty down to earth. He's very nice, and he's I mean he's been amazing for me and my career. I got to play songs with him on stage and play "Hunger Strike," which is you know an anthem for a generation. Right. You you bring out the Eddie Vedder role in in. Uh when you perform that with him. Right. <laughs> B. Beeman, you're on your way up to, uh, to Minnesota. You know, maybe you'll have a chance to get caught up on, uh, on Minnesota sports while you're here, too. Yeah, I've heard uh, you have a great Division One team up there coached by Craig T. Nelson and Luther and Dauber from Coach. Yes, yes. Steve, Christine, Dauber. <laughs> Uh, hopefully you guys have a great season this year. Well, B. Beeman, uh, we will see you in St. Paul on the 21st of November at Wits with Keegan-Michael Key. And uh, in the meantime, we'll, uh, we'll keep listening to, to heavy rock and thinking of you and your interpretations. B. Beeman, thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Doesn't anybody feel like I do? Well, it's sports season, and here to check in about sports and the way the sports are being played is uh, our old friend, the coach. Coach, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. It's basketball season, correct? It sure is. You must be excited. I'm so excited. What's the best thing about basketball for you as a coach? It keeps me away from the crippling depression that daylight savings brings into my life. Okay. Was that too deep? Did I go too far with you, that? You went a little far. Okay. I also like dribbling. Yeah. Okay. And I like the three-man weave. 
Oh, but also, sure. if I'm being honest, there's lights in an arena. Right. And that makes me feel better. And it keeps you away from your thoughts, your terrible, yeah. terrible thoughts. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't mean to get so deep right at the top, but well, that's the truth. Uh, yeah. No, I, because I, 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 from what I gather, it's been a kind of a rough season. Oh. Starting out oh. anyway. Oh, brother. Tell me about some of your players. How's, uh, let's, I guess let's start at point guard. How's, uh, how's the point guard looking? Uh, he is pretty good. He's really, really fast. Yeah. He's really good at dribbling. He's a good passer. Sounds great. Uh, problem is, he's a mouse. Oh. He's an actual mouse. Actual mouse. Yeah. And it's tough. Speedy. He's really speedy. But, you know, have you ever spent time with a mouse, Joe? Uh, not in a basketball context. Okay. No. All right. Well, let me explain what happens. They He doesn't care about out of bounds uh-huh. or any of those types of things. He really does it, and it's yeah. really frustrating. He'll go up the stairs. He'll go behind the basket. It's really hard to keep him in bounds. He's adorable, sure. and everybody wants him to do well. Yeah. And honestly, everyone's terrified of stepping on him. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Is your mouse point guard aware that he is playing the game of basketball? That is hard to say, John. Yeah. At times, no, it doesn't seem like he's aware he's playing basketball. But then he'll do a behind-the-back pass. Wow. And it's unbelievable. That's an incredible mouse. Yeah. He'll he'll flip it, and uh-huh. then he'll whack it with his tail. Oh. And it's, it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. It's Maravich. Yeah. It's Pete Maravich. Yeah. It's yeah. Pistol Pete in mouse form. It's John Stockton in his prime, <laughs> yeah. but a mouse. It's unbelievable. But then also yeah. just a mouse. Yeah. Yeah. And he falls asleep all the time. Oh, well, sure. They get tired. Yeah. All, all that skittering. Skittering will take a lot out of you. Oh, and at the last game, the... Uh, the uh, opposing team they had a uh, they had a special ticket deal. Yeah. Did you hear about this? No. If you brought your cat oh, to the no. game, oh my goodness, you got it for free. Yeah. Well, what's a mouse gonna do in that kind of situation? Run and Other hide. Than be terrified. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had I a ma- rough game that game. I imagine that there are sort of uh, semi-circular shaped uh, holes in the floorboards of the arena where a mouse can go and get a little break from the action. Well, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Um, so does is your shooting guard able to compensate for some of this stuff? Yeah, he's a great player. Okay. He's really, really good. Human being? Yeah, he's a human being. Okay. <laughs> there no. are, you know, there are rules. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, don't don't be upset by that. I'm sorry. I came off really, no, really no, snarky. No, I didn't mean to like that. It's, it's, it's already, it's, you've got I'm a, in it. You're under a lot of pressure. Yeah, I'm in it. Yeah. So I just know. So sure. you get one mouse per team. Yeah. Uh, he's great. In the rule book. Yeah, he's really, really good. couple things that make him so good. Inspector Gadget Arms. Oh, really? Yeah. That so, kind of like uh, unfolding accordion-style yeah, arm? Yeah. yeah. So he's shooting a three, but he's really not shooting a three. It's just a layup, yeah. actually. Yeah, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the big problem is, and this is kind of a collective bargaining problem is that he is a shooting guard for hire. Oh. So midway through the game, he switches up. Yeah. In a timeout. It happened in a timeout. He said, Coach, I like you. You're really good. But the other team offered me more money. He just got to move on. He switched jerseys. Wow. It was rough. It was hard. It's hard to lose that way, John. Well, and, and was it your team that made that medical investment on the retractable arms in the first oh, place? Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, we spent a lot of money to make him the best shooting guard we could. Right. Yeah. The the previous arm removal alone must have oh, cost a fortune. It was really expensive. Yeah. And a lot of people thought we were crazy to do it. Yeah. And we were like, crazy or brilliant? 
And yeah. now it turns out that we were probably crazy. just crazy. Yeah, probably yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, okay, so you get some play out of the shooting guard. You've got the mouse uh, point guard. How are you looking at small forward? Uh, well, as you know, it's hard to be a small forward yeah. when all the other positions have such strong names. Power forward. Power forward. Center. Center. Point guard. Yeah. Shooting guard. Small hey, forward. Hey, do you want to be the small forward? Yeah. What is that? You're not, you're too tall to be a guard. Right. But you're not fast enough. I guess you could call it like the sensitive forward. I think so. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting that you brought that up. Oh, really? Because uh, our small forward is, uh, he's a spoken word. Spoken word storyteller. Performance artist. Oh, Performance okay. artist is the word I was going for. Sure. So usually he's doing open mics around town. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's really good at that. Yeah. He's not particularly good at basketball. At basketball. Yeah. Well, I, I can't imagine he combines them at any point. Well, no, you can't block out with cadence. No. Hey, cool cat, I'm going to block you out now. Yeah. That doesn't work. No, no. But I, but I imagine there's some some grant money coming your way for the team that can at least pay for some equipment. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a really nice part, and it's a really good point. But he won't wear basketball shoes. Okay. No, so he wears boat shoes. Oh boy, it's really frustrating. Yeah. And that 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 infinity scarf. Do you know what yeah, I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, right. It doesn't have ends. Where is it going? Huh. Yeah. Well, it's I imagine hard. that could like an opposing player gets a gets a hold of that could just yank him down around yeah. the neck to the floor. Yeah. And we keep telling him that. And he is a small and sensitive. <laughs> He's forward. a small and sensitive guy, so he starts crying. Yeah. It gets bad, and you know mice do not handle crying no. very well. No, so they that skitter off. Makes him crazy, and then the Voltron arms start going. Yeah. It's rough. Inspector Gadget arms, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, can your big guys carry any of the load? Your power forward, your center. Well, let's talk about the center first. Is is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. As you know, the center used to be the big deal in sure. basketball. Sure. Sure. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, yeah. yeah. Will Chamberlain. Yeah. Other guys. Others. So, you know, a big deal. And yeah. we found a guy. He's seven foot six. Wow. He's from the mountains of Europe. Oh, the European uh, mountains. Yeah. A heck of a kid. Yeah. Really nice guy. Yeah. Here's the problem. Yeah. Oh, did I mention that when he raises his arms, it's nearly 18 feet in the air? Really? Yeah. It's That's an enormous wingspan. Yeah. If we had known that this guy existed, maybe we wouldn't have done surgery on the on shooting guard. On the other guard. guy. Right. Yeah. Right. Don't, don't think that that doesn't- Now you've got yeah. more arms, more human arms than you know yeah. what to do with. Who knows, right? Yeah, drowning in arms. Here's the issue, John. He's scared of basketballs. He's terrified of basketball. Of the actual ball. Yeah. He doesn't like them. He oh. has said that they look like a tiny sun coming towards him, and that scares him. Well, that I so guess just, if you look at it, that is scary. Well, it's terrifying well, if then, that's what you think it is. But can he then play off the ball? I mean, and and kind of you know work the work the defense when when he's on the court. Yeah, on the defensive side, he's fine yeah. until the ball makes it to that side of the court. Yeah, and then he's just he immediately runs the other way. He runs the other yeah. way. I imagine that frightens the mouse. Oh, terrifies the mouse because mice need order, John. Yeah, they do. They need a routine. Yeah. They need a reward. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't just switch up. That's another thing about the mouse that I should have brought up. Yeah. You can't start out in a man-to-man defense and then switch to zone because mice can't stand that. No. Because we have to attach cheese to the player that he's guarding. <laughs> and what are you going to do in a zone? Just put a circle of cheese that he's supposed to yeah, stay no, in? Yeah, uh, no, that's an illegal defense if you do that. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. So 
Cute wow. mouse. Did I mention he was a cute mouse? He, he sounds adorable. Everybody's well, rooting for him. Sure. Well, it sounds like a lot of, uh, it's a difficult team. Hopefully your power forward is able to, to pick up the slack. Unfortunately, and... that's not the case. Really? Yeah. Oh. That is not the case. Do tell. He, well, he, um, he prefers to not be at the games. Okay. He's a contractor. Uh-huh. So do you see, you know like, what I mean? Like home repair kind of contractor? Well, he does do some of that, but he's a freelance. Oh, okay. He's, so he, he does a lot of freelance projects. Right. And when we signed a contract, he he insisted that he wasn't going to come into the office. Okay. He was going to do everything he's online. He's more of a basketball consultant. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. He's really good at what he does, but he's never there, and that's really hard. He doesn't exist tangibly for the team. Exactly. Mm. So, and you, I get an invoice. He's yeah. charging us hourly, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, he's charging us hourly. It's a that's big contract. Yeah. So anyway, he doesn't come in. Yeah. I get an invoice every once in a while. Oh, well, you know, I, I imagine it's, he does good work, but it still must be must be hard. Yeah, well. There's no results. There's no results. There's nothing there. There's no corporeal form. Yeah. Um, is your bench any good? Well, we have two guys on the bench. Two guys. Okay. We, as you know, we're having money issues sure. this year. It's hard to feel Tied all team. over. Tied yeah. all over. Tied all over. They're okay. Yeah. But they're the kids from The Shining. Oh, the, the, the girl twins? twins? Yeah. So uh, they terrify everybody. Yeah. And it's actually worked to our benefit. We put them out there. We bring the lights down and put, you know, just a spotlight on them, uh-huh. and it works for a little bit. The sub other team's out, just like, no, thank you. You sub out the uh, the forward who isn't there yeah. already. Yeah, and you put in the kids maybe from the let, maybe let the mouse take a break. Yeah, well, the mouse can't be anywhere near it. Mice are terrified of ghosts. Yeah, so <laughs> that's as true. you know, everybody as, knows that. Yeah, as you know. Now so, are these girls still the the same age as in The Shining, or they, they otherwise they must be in their forties? They've aged a bit, yeah. So they're in their forties, yeah. Which actually is still pretty creepy. Yeah, it's hard to picture it. I can right. see you're having trouble imagining right. it. The matching dresses, yeah, yeah. But it works. But they, you know, they're ghosts. Yeah, they're spirits, so they don't stay for any given amount of time. No. So sometimes I look on my bench and. Oh, great. They're there. Let's make this happen. Right. At other times, you know, they're not. So these aren't the actresses. These are the actual the, characters these, from- Yes, these are the characters that were, from The Shining. Was I not being clear about well, that? Well, no. I, okay. I, th- I thought you had hired the actresses, no, but in fact, no. you've hired apparitions. Yeah, we hired apparitions. It came along. Their agent called us. Their yeah. agent called us, John. Yeah, yeah. Their agent called us. Well, Believe you know. me. Even people who don't eat have, have got to eat, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like uh, it sounds like you got your work cut out for you. Uh, yeah, but what? everybody makes the playoffs in this league. Yeah, so it's not that big of a deal. Who are you? Who are you going out uh, up against in the first round of the playoffs? Oh well, we're going up against the Albuquerque Crushers. Ooh, yeah. They're pretty good. They're tough. Yeah. 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 They are rock monsters. They are rock monsters. Yeah. They're really good. They're slow, though. So if we do a fast break offense, we're going to be fine. But given the things that I just spoke of, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, good luck, and uh, and we'll be rooting for you in in vain. The coach, everybody. Always good to hear from the coach. Such a wise man. Before we go, just an update here. Chris Kimbrough, 44-year-old mother of six, has set a new world record in the women's beer mile. That's when you run four laps around a track and drink four beers. She performed this feat in six minutes, 
28.6 seconds, shattering the old record held by Shauna Robinson. We all thought Shauna's record of 6.42 even from 1997 would live forever. But no, Chris Kimbrough, mother of six, blammo. Coming up in uh, Austin, Texas on December 3rd, of course, as we all know, as is on all of our calendars, the Beer Mile World Championship in Austin, Texas. So uh, circle that event. That is going to be some wobbly fun. Home Dunk is part of the Infinite Guest Podcast Network. Among the people involved in the Infinite Guest Podcast Network, Steve Nelson, Peter Clowney, Corey Schreppel. Nina Patak is a producer for the Infinite Guest Network, and she is new, and we welcome her because she's going to make us all sound great. Listen to as many Infinite Guest Podcast Network shows as you possibly can at infiniteguest.org. Until next week, yours in self-loathing and overthinking and pedantry, I'm John Moe. Bye now.